Uh, well, I, I think one of the most probably prolific and, and influential, I guess, parts of what I see in terms of marketing, there might be a few mark any marketing students? I don't know. Evan does a bit of marketing, is that right? Yeah. You do, you do marketing, Evan? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, you do marketing. Excellent. Um, I think what, sometimes you just see lots of slogans, slogans getting uh, you know, repeated and things like that. I think one of the repeated slogans when it comes to marketing is this, make a difference. Don't you reckon? Make a difference. It seems to be this, this tagline that, I, I don't know, if you read that, you just go, okay, I actually do. I actually want to make a difference uh, in the world. Uh, I, I did a little bit of Google searching, a little bit from my own memory, but mostly Google searching. Have a look at a few of these ones. Um, examples, I guess, of at least political forces who have used this idea of making a difference to try and institute change. Uh, the great uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, he once inspired the US with this line in one of his famous speeches, one person can make a difference and everyone should try. It's pretty God, I feel like, yeah, I could, I could do something, right? I could make a difference. I, I could be that one person that everyone should try. Nelson Mandela, similarly, he inspired millions of people by saying this, we can change the world, we can make it a better place, it's in your hands to make the difference. Uh, it's not just politics, in terms of uh, religion and belief. Uh, the Dalai Lama apparently is quoted with saying this, if you think you are too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. Uh, you know, it's, I thought it was pretty funny personally, but maybe not. Um, Gandhi, uh, I think I've thrown this one at you guys before, he says, in a gentle way, you can shake the whole world. Is that expi- inspiring? It's kind of thing, yes, I can make a difference. There's actually heaps out there, uh, but it's not all out there, it's actually right here. I don't know if you know this, but one of our tagline slogans at this very university is make a difference. Do you know that? We actually have a few slogans. You can kind of look them up and, and, and look at the posters around. But have a look at this. This is your Vice-Chancellor, uh, John Dewar. I don't know if you've met him. He's a lovely guy. Uh, but in a recent press conference about all these upgrades that are happening on our campus and other campuses, uh, this is what he spoke about. Uh, you can see there, he said, over the next five years, our Make a Difference campaign is going to raise $50 million to support Latrobe, continually redefining what it means to be a great year. It's right here. Uh, in fact, even closer than just that press conference, because anyone recognise this building? Yeah? Where is it? Nancy Long. Nancy Long, yeah, that way. There's some, some people go, where am I? Circular X Theatre, it's kind of weird. Yeah, That way, I think. Yeah, Nancy Long. Oh, but look, there it is. Latrobe University. <laughs> Nancy Long? It's that way. It's right there. I, I don't know. I'm confused. That's all right. But you see my point, right? Be the difference. This is what you're living and breathing. Be the difference. It's everywhere. This kind of tagline. And it, I think it's inspirational. You hear that kind of line? And I, well, personally for me, I go, yeah. I actually want to be the difference. I want to be a part of changing our world. I actually want to make a difference. I don't know when you kind of feel that, if it resonates with you. If it does, I I think it actually makes sense that it resonates with us. I'll tell you why. Because the Bible actually starts 
with God speaking to the first two people and telling them, essentially, go and make a difference. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. Uh, can anyone remember the kind of first two commands that God gave Adam and Eve right at the very beginning? Can remember those commands? Sorry? No, that wasn't straight away. But that's like the third one, actually, yeah. First two commands, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay? So essentially, God is saying to Adam and Eve, the first people, have lots of kids, <laughs> be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth by having kids, more people, create communities of people, and as more and more people come along, as more and more people are created, as this community grows, what was to happen? Well, the Garden of Eden would have actually slowly got bigger and bigger and bigger. They would have subdued the earth and eventually would have had this community of people who loved God properly because they listened to him, who actually loved each other properly, lived perfectly because they kept listening to God and they would have cared for the creation properly. God's first command was actually for this world to be filled with people who love him, love each other and care for the world. God was saying to them, Go and make a difference. Fill the world with goodness, God was saying. I think that's why it resonates with us. When we hear that tagline, kind of go and make a difference, it's part of our createdness. That's why it resonates with us. And tonight, what I really want to kind of tease out, and and I guess over the next seven weeks or so, as we look at 1 Thessalonians, what I want want us to do is, is actually tease out what what this is going to look like for us today. And and I say today because, well, you probably know, you look around, we're not in the Garden of Eden anymore, are we? We're actually not in that community where everyone loves each other properly and and loves God and cares for the creation. We're actually outside of that. And if you know the story of the Bible, you probably know why. It's actually because Adam and Eve, the first people, and and we also, actually tried to make a difference our own way instead of God's way. Uh, Instead of having God as our king, instead of listening to him and and following his commands and and living his way, essentially we told God, no, 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 we want to do it our way. You rack off, leave us alone. And so essentially God actually gave us what we asked for. He actually said, you'll be separated from me. That was the punishment for our sin, for our rebellion. And when you think about it, to be separated from God, God who is the source of life and and light and everything good, well, to be separated from him, what does that mean? It actually means, well, for the first time, there's pain, there's sickness, there's hardship, because we're away from the source of goodness. For the first time, there's actually death in the world. And that's the world we live in. So my question is, well, actually, what does it make, what does it look like for us to make a difference today in that world? Well, to actually understand what it means, we actually have to keep going through the Bible story just a little bit further. See, the good news of the Bible is that God actually didn't just leave us in that broken world. He decided that he was going to make a difference by doing something amazing by sending his son Jesus to come and make the ultimate difference. So when Jesus came into this world, this is, this is the story of the Bible, when Jesus came into this world, 
He actually lived the perfect life. He always listened to his father. He always obeyed God. He always loved each other. He loved other people properly. And out of that love, Jesus went to a cross and he died. He died under the judgment of God that we deserve for our sins. He was separated from his father. And as he died, you probably know, he cried these words. He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And God looked out and effectively he said, okay, I will. Because of my son's death, they can have life. They can have that perfect life. That perfect life will actually come when Jesus returns. You can have security. You can know that life right now as you turn and make Jesus your king. That is the message of the Bible. Now, you might be thinking, well, Steve, um, I'm a Christian. Uh, I've heard a lot of that before. I know that. How does that actually help me make a difference today? Well, to help us think this through, I actually want us to look at a different passage in the Bible. In Acts chapter 17, it actually gives us a bit of background to the book of Thessalonians that we're going to be looking at. I'll put it up on the screen. Acts chapter 17, and I'll read verses 1 to 7. Let's just have a look at this passage together. So speaking about Paul and his companions as they're going around telling people all about this message of Jesus. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Now, do you see what happens in this passage? This is the Apostle Paul at around 50 AD, about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. He goes to this town called Thessalonica and he preaches the gospel. That is, he tells people the good news about Jesus, that Jesus died for their sins, that he has risen for the hope that they can have life by trusting in his name. He explained to them that Jesus was the new king who will one day return. And do you see what happened? Well, some people received the message with joy. Some people became Christians. They heard this great news of a new king who can rescue them and they believed it with joy. But other people, well, they were jealous. And you see, what they, they hated it. They actually wanted to, to drag Paul out and get rid of him because he was proclaiming this message. But what I want you to notice is in verse 6. So do you notice what the crowd 
say about Paul and his companions. They say, these men who have turned the world upside down, they've come here also. That's kind of making a difference. (laughs) That's what they were known for. Everywhere they went, they preached this different message and it turned people's lives upside down. These men, they say, who speak about another king, they've turned the world upside down. And this crowd actually wants to get rid of them. But some people received it with joy. And they became the church of Thessalonica. The church to which this letter that we're looking at is written to. So what I want us to do tonight is just really quickly just run through the first chapter, those verses that Charlotte read for us. Because in this letter, Paul actually writes to them to encourage this church, these people who believe the good news of Jesus, how to keep making a difference for Jesus, how to be people who, who, like Paul and his companions, actually turn the world upside down. That's what we're going to see together. So, so if you've got your outline, you'll see there there's, there's three R's. I like to do a alliter- alliteration. Anyone remember the three R's from school? Do you remember those three R's? Is it just my, it's just my generation? I'm feeling really old at the moment. Reading, writing, yeah, reading, writing, and arithmetic. You know what? Only one of them is an R. <laughs> what is that? Anyway, mine are actually R's. You'll, you'll see it there. Um, the Thessalonians, Paul, Paul actually gives them a remarkable report. Uh, you see that? That's the first point we're going to look at. Um, and they get a remarkable report because they did two things. They received the gospel and they renounced their idols. That's what they did. Um, so have a look there. If you've got your booklet, it would be great to open up chapter 1 and verse 1. Just firstly, have a look at this greeting, uh, the way Paul starts his letter. He says that Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Grace and peace to you. So this is just kind of setting the scene. Uh, this letter, see, uh, this letter that we're going to be looking at, it's written by Paul and, and Silvanus and Timothy. They all kind of wrote it together. It's from all of them. Uh, it's written to the Christians in Thessalonica, and it says Paul, Paul actually describes these people as being in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to ask, well, what, what does that mean? to be in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I actually take it that they're actually in right relationship with God the Father because they've made Jesus their Lord. Uh, they, they who were once enemies of God are now his dearly loved children because they've made Jesus their King. But what I want you to really just focus on and, and have a look at is the two great words that Paul kind of finishes that greeting with in verse 1, um, grace and peace. I think these are great words uh, for Christians uh, to know and, and to love. Can anyone tell me, um, what is grace? It's not just a girl's name. What is, what is grace? Undeserved. An undeserved gift. Yeah. yeah, so Paul says grace to you, an undeserved gift. What is the gift of grace, do you think, that we know as Christians? Salvation. Salvation. Yeah, it's the gift of God giving us his son, right? Yeah. It's Jesus dying on the cross for us. And so when you think about what that grace, what does it actually achieve? What does is, what is Jesus dying on the cross for us achieve? Peace. Peace, yeah. It means we can have peace with God. So it, just in this little sign-off line, grace and peace to you, Paul's actually reminding them of the gospel, of what they believe. That because of God's great gift, his great love for you, you can have peace with him, both now and for eternity. That's what the Thessalonians believe. 
And it's actually what um, changed their lives. Uh, this belief changed them. And you see there, secondly, uh, in verses 2 to 4, that Paul gives them this kind of remarkable report. He just speaks so well of them. I'll just read out a couple of verses, verses 2 and 3. Uh, Paul says, We always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, your labour of love, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now do you see there what Paul says about the Thessalonians? He says, doesn't he, that he is so thankful to God for them because their faith, their belief, is actually evident through their works. Did you notice that? Their belief is actually evident through their works. See, Paul actually describes them as having the three great Christian virtues, if you know what I mean by that, faith, hope and love. The three great virtues, but, but look at how he actually describes their virtues. He speaks of their work of faith. Now, that is, their faith in God actually produced good works for God. This isn't just some sort of head knowledge for them. He speaks about their love, but look at how he uses it. He says actually their labour of love. They actually laboured to love one another and God. It was, it was work for them. And, and thirdly, look at the last one. Uh, he, he describes their hope, but he describes it as an enduring hope. That is, they just kept going. They kept going, hoping, even when it was hard, even when they were persecuted, they just kept going. Their hope endured. And Paul, I think, is saying, you know what? We actually know these guys are gods because we can see it through their works. Christianity, friends, that's not just a head knowledge thing. It's actually a belief that changes you. It's a belief that ought to be evident by your lives being different. Your lives will be different because if you're a Christian, you actually have a different king. You actually have a different person that you live for. You don't live for yourself. You live for Jesus. He's your king. Uh, You'll actually have different motivations. You'll have different hope. You'll have different joy. But I think the most most astounding one actually comes in the following verses, verse 5 and 6. You actually have a different power within you. Look there, verses 5 and 6. Paul says about Thessalonians, he says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with much assurance. He says, You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. So the Thessalonians, Paul says here, they heard the message about Jesus. But do you notice how it was that they welcomed this message? How it was that they actually received this message? It was actually by the power, you see verse 5, of the Holy Spirit. For them to, to actually turn and acknowledge Jesus as king, the Holy Spirit has actually done a powerful work within them so that they can go and say, you know what, that guy who died on a cross actually is the risen Lord of the universe. For them to believe that, God actually did a powerful work in them. 
Uh, in, in the original Greek, um, the word power uh, is actually dunamis. It's the word where we get uh, our word dynamite from. So if you're a Christian, you've actually got this dynamite-type power within you. Your old life of living for yourself actually needed to be blown up, so to speak, and killed. And now you have a new power, a new dynamite, that enables you and transforms you to live with Jesus as your king. That's the reality of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're a Christian. It is powerful. God has put his powerful spirit within you to change you. And for the Thessalonians, we actually see here in verse 6 how it changed them in particular. It meant that they endured and they kept hoping when they were mocked, when they were persecuted. They just kept believing. They just kept believing in Jesus because by his spirit, God had given them a joy in Jesus that couldn't be taken away. And this, friends, Paul says is actually an example to follow. See there in verse 7? In verse 7, it says, They became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. Now, you probably, maybe you do, but I had no idea where these places were, so here's a map. Uh, You can see Thessalonica up the top. Macedonia and Archaea are kind of the big regions. Um, So it's a little bit like, I don't know, you might say Victoria, you've got um, Bendigo, but then you've got, I don't know, Gippsland. That's a region, right? What are some other regions? Lodden Sorry? Lodden Valley. Valley. Yep. Yeah, that sort of idea. So so if, if Paul was writing to us, the Thessalonians, he might say something like, you know, your, your faith has sounded out into Lodden Valley and Gippsland. There you go. That sounds contextualised. Sounds great to me. Thanks, Matt, for your help. But... What you see here, these young Christians, I don't know if you noticed, but back in Acts 17, did you, did you notice how, how many times Paul, or how long Paul was actually there in Thessalonica? Did you notice that from Acts 17? I didn't point it out. Three weeks. He spoke for three consecutive Saturdays, probably, in the synagogue. So this church had three sermons, right? And so Paul's writing this letter to encourage them how to keep being Christian, how to stay on track as Jesus, how to keep making a difference. Uh, In all these surrounding regions, these young Christians, they had actually put their hope in Jesus and they, this young church, had become an example, we see here, to all these other believers around them. Uh, It's a little bit like, I don't know if you've ever got got a rock or a stone and just kind of chucked it in a pool of water. And you see that kind of ripple effect. It kind of slowly goes out. It just touches everything in a really powerful way as it goes out. That's kind of like the Thessalonians. They just had this amazing faith and hope and love and people saw it and it rippled out. Have a look in in verse 8. Paul says, For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Can I say, don't ever think that because you're young or your group is small that you can't make a powerful difference for God and his world. Uh, there's a lady called Margaret Mead. She wrote, once wrote this. She's not a Christian lady to my knowledge, but she said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, 
Committed people can change the world. Indeed, that's the only thing that ever has. Think about the apostles of Jesus. Eleven people took the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth to Bendigo. Right? It's just travelled. It's changed the world. It's changed people's eternities. That small little group of committed people who have the power of God working with them. The Thessalonians, are they people who by God's power receive the gospel? Uh, they believe the gospel and you can actually see that it had changed their lives. But I think you could say it finally because of our third point that you see in verse 9 and 10. Um, they actually renounced all other idols and they lived for Jesus. Have a look there, verses 9 and 10. It says, For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. What's an idol? Well, an idol's not just a little wooden trinket or anything like that. No, an idol is actually anything that becomes more important to you than God. An idol is, is anything that sort of captures your heart or, or captures your allegiance more than God might. Uh, Tim Keller, a, a pastor from New York, he defines an idol like this quite helpfully. He says, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Is there an idol in your life tonight that you need to turn away from? Is there something in your life that that you're looking to for that kind of sense of security or value of significance? Friends, turn from that idol. What the Thessalonians do? They turn from idols to God because God was much better. Have a look at verse 10. If you want to see value, you want to feel valued, you want to know a sense of security and significance, look at verse 10. Look at what you get in Jesus. Jesus says, you're so valuable, I'll die for you and deliver you from the wrath to come. That's significance, isn't it? That's eternal security. Have you received that good news? Is that your hope? Is that where you find your significance in knowing that you are someone for whom Christ died? You're a dearly loved child of God. This semester, do you know what I'd love to see, what I've been praying for? I'd love to see a ripple effect coming out of the Christian union. I'd love to, to, to see that our lives are being changed as God by his spirit works in us so that people actually look at us and think, man, they love Jesus. You can see it. It's evident. I want to be part of that. I want to know what they've got, what their joy is, what their hope is. I want to end by, um, I guess, flagging something that we're hoping to get up and running this semester uh, with the Christian Union. That is, um, we've been praying as staff in particular about a thing called prayer triplets and training. Uh, And I'll just put this uh, slide up for you to to look at and read as I talk it through. But 
the idea is that as Christians, we would actually be really committed to getting together in small groups and just actively praying and seeking how we could reach the lost that we know, people who don't know Jesus as Lord. Uh, you can kind of see the structure of the group there. It's, it's it might, Triplets might become fours or fives. It doesn't matter. Um, but the idea is that for the first 20 minutes, we actually talk about you know, who are the people we've been praying for? What are the conversations we've had with people uh, during the week? How did, how did that go? I will spend 20 minutes in some training, thinking about uh, what we can do next. There's different modules we can work through. And the next 20 minutes, we actually just commit people to God in prayer. Um, I'd love for us to be part of that. Uh, I've been chatting with um, lots of people about being involved in this. Uh, and I just want to say, friends... If I come and chat to you about this, can you just say yes? That'll make my life a lot easier, it really will. Uh, that'd be great. But don't you reckon what we've seen tonight is how is it that we can make a difference? It's actually as God's people work, God by his spirit works within us to see people saved for eternity. That's how it works, isn't it? Um, this idea has come not from me, it's not my brainchild. I, I rarely have brainchilds, um, but uh, I've real childs, but not brainchilds. Um, at Melbourne Uni, that was a really bad dad joke, but I'm a dad, so there you go. At Melbourne Uni, they've been doing these TNTs um, for about five years. Last semester, uh, semester one of this year, they had 17 people come to Christ, become Christians, just through this sort of model. Um, actually, you guys talking to your friends about Jesus, praying that through. Um, I just think that's really encouraging. They're a bigger group than us. They have about 140 students regularly in their group, and about 120 of them are committed uh, to TNTs. Um, I reckon I, I added it up. So I reckon I know about 70 Christians at year. Um, so that's about half of that. Um, and I, I'm making it my aim over the next two weeks to talk to all 70 people. Uh, about being involved in TNT. I'm, actually, I'm going to split that up with some of the staff as well. Um, but that's what I'm praying for, that we would actually really be committed to making a difference um, and making a difference God's way, letting him work on our campus through us. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that we'd be like the Thessalonians, uh, that it would be evident that we have a work of faith, that we have a labour of love, and that we have enduring hope. Let's pray for those things. Father God, we uh, thank you for your gospel, which is so good. Uh, We thank you that you're a God who desires to save us, to save people and change us for eternity. Father, I pray that um, just for our campus, I want to pray that we would see lots of people come to hear about the good news of Jesus and that you would give them, by your spirit, new life and new joy. We pray this in his name. Amen.